As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors in your ward and you just don't know what to say to them, so you just ignore them? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow man while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? Personally, I've struggled with all those experiences. This is why Leading Saints is putting together the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we will learn from 20 plus individuals who all have a unique perspective or an expertise in the LGBT Latter-day Saint experience. It's free to attend, so don't miss it. To learn all about the details, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. Again, text the word L-E-A-D to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. We hope you will join us so that we can all learn together. How is it that you lead? That's the question that we ask in these segments that we release every first Wednesday of the month. And if it's the second Wednesday, that just means we've been really busy and had to push it to the second Wednesday. But my name is Kurt Frankham, the host of the Leading Saints podcast. And in this How I Lead interview, we talk with two Relief Society presidents, and you are going to love it. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, I'm glad you found us. This is a great episode to start with, to sort of get a flavor, a taste, if you will, of the type of content that we create at Leading Saints. We are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And a big part of the way we do that is through this podcast, which you've hopefully now subscribed to and already left your five-star review on iTunes and wherever else you may listen to. And we also have a website at leadingsaints.org slash contact that has thousands of articles there. You should check out and newsletters and we try and be a full service shop here. And hopefully you are benefiting from the content. So I welcome you if you're brand new. Now, in this interview, I talk with Jennifer Coleman in Vermont, in the United States of America, and also with Angela Griffiths, who is in the city of Sales in the United Kingdom. And it's always fun to get an international perspective on the Leading Saints podcast. And uh, both of these women have some great perspectives and points uh, about how to lead, especially in the setting of Relief Society. So if you know of a Relief Society president, you've got to send the link to this interview with them. You're going to enjoy it. Here's my interview with Jennifer Coleman and Angela Griffiths. Today, I have the opportunity to connect to the other side of the globe to chat with Angela Griffiths in Sale in the United Kingdom. How are you, Angela? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Now, you are near, you said you're near Manchester, is that right? Yes, yes. And so you get all the rain. We get all the rain, yes. It's <laughs> historically an industrialized city. So we've got a, quite a big city, but we do get rain because we're near the Pennines. And uh, so are you born and raised in, in that part of the I country? I was born in New York. Oh, really? And, um, I've heard of that yeah. place. <laughs> my father still lives there. And I, um, my mum came back here when I was nine months old because she's from Manchester. And I've raised here. I went to BYU when I was 18 for a year for a bit of experience. But I was homesick. So I came back to England, met Brian, yeah. got married, had a family. Nice. So are you a citizen of the U.S. then? Uh, yes, I have an American passport, uh, but just a couple of years ago, I took out my British passport as well. Oh, good. So I awesome. have two now. 
Awesome. Well, that's fantastic. So you've had opportunity to serve in some leadership callings, one of those being the Stake Relief Society president. Are you still in that calling or did that end? Yes, I've been Stake Relief Society president for four years now, or nearly four years. Great. And before that, I was Stake primary president and I've served as Stake Women's president as well. And what's your stake like? How would you describe it to a Utah boy who's spoiled and has churches on every corner? How would you describe the demographics and what your stake's like? Okay, we have seven wards. Our wards probably have attendance maybe of 100 people on average at each of those wards. Uh, We cover the Manchester area. So there's one in within Shaw, which is a state centre. There's one in Older. Oh, no, it's not Older. That's in the other state now. There's Stockport and Hyde, Stretford. And we have a YSA ward. We have the only YSA ward in Europe that has its own building, as oh, really? apart from the one in London. We're, we're wow. quite lucky with that. We, we did serve in the YSA ward. My husband was on the bishopric. Um, so we're quite a, an old stake. We're one of the original stakes. And we have quite a lot of older members as well as new members. But it's not like Utah. So at school, when I went to school, I was the only LDS in my school. And that's the what it's like for most of the youth. And so and you've never been a ward relief society president. So does it come as a shock when when they, they bumped you up to the stake? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a shock, really, because I did say to the state president, you do know that I've not served in relief society. And I think at the time it seemed to work out because everything changed in Relief Society, ministering changed, or home teaching changed, the way we taught the lessons changed. And so maybe it's better that I hadn't taught or hadn't served in, in the World Relief Society because I wasn't coming with preconceived ideas. Hmm. I, I was just going with all the new changes. Nice. So you see that as a strength, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, um, and then did you mention before we hit record that you you have a degree in leadership or you've studied leadership in the past? Yeah, well, my first degree is in IT. I'm an IT teacher, but also I have a master's degree in educational leadership and management. Oh, okay. And so you've been able to draw on some principles, maybe from some of that background and, and implement I it. Do, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I think when you're serving in the church, it's totally different to working in an organization. And sometimes you forget those skills that you've learned working in an organization. But I have drawn on some of those things. Always help me see when things haven't worked out, why it didn't work out yeah. and what I needed to do. And so maybe let's jump into some of those uh, principles. First one you, you noted is the importance of being organized. How did that manifest itself in your, in your service? Well, I mean, I have been on a state leadership for quite a long time, being in primary and young women. So I've learned that you do need to be organized. And so the very first thing is to set up regular meetings every month with your presidency. So ours is the first Tuesday of every month. And they come, you know, and we, we know I've got a meeting. So you're not messing around going, oh, can you make a meeting? Um, and also making sure we're taking minutes and making sure that we're organised about things. So we're being leading to my next principle, being proactive. Hmm. So we're not reacting all the time to issues. We're actually planning ahead and seeing what the sisters need, what training is needed in the wards. So that, because that's really our main job is to train the ward presidents and presidencies. So see what training and what trainings com- what changes are coming up that we need to put training in place for. Um, so being proactive, there's nothing worse than being stressed because you've not organised yourself and you're not. I used to have a file of facts 
especially when I was staying in one of president, you know, Franklin could be, sorry, I'm advertising, but a Franklin uh, could be file of facts. Oh, okay. I know everything was in there, but uh, we've updated now, haven't we? And we're, everything's on the internet. So but, file facts, that's like a, a day planner, is that? Yeah, yeah, a day okay. planner. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to lose anything in translation here. So. <laughs> sorry, yeah, so I'm, I'm babbling on in my English, aren't I? Right, yeah. If I'm talking too fast, please tell me to Oh, you're, you're doing great. I'm picking up everything, I, so. I went to BYU when I was 18, and people could not understand a word I was saying. Yeah. Um, for a whole yeah. year. <laughs> So. Well, and going back to, you know, being proactive, because these callings can be very reactive based, especially the Relief Society calling. It's sort of the uh, bishop-like calling where people are bringing you problems or, uh, and you're probably seeing that with your ward Relief Society presence. They, you know, they've got a fire to put out here and there, and it's hard to remain proactive. It is. And I suppose I, I'm talking from the state where it's nothing like being in the ward. The poor Relief Society presidents are at the rock base and they are dealing with issues and people will throw their issues at you as a leader. And, but I still think it's important for them to be proactive. And so they're managing things and things aren't then able to come and hit them. Uh, one of the examples is ministry, uh, interviewing, companionships. You know, as long as that's planned and they're carrying it out, they're being proactive, they're organised. But if it's all gets left and they're trying to fit it in at the end of the month, then they're getting all that pressure as well as the problems that people have in the ward. You know, it's just all piles on top, doesn't it? Yeah. So being organised really is a is an action of being proactive. Yeah. 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 You also talk about just the importance of relying on prayer. How does prayer influence your service? That is the biggest thing for me, um, whether it's I'm praying about which counsellors to have or I'm praying about what I'm going to talk about in the board conferences for the, this current, you know, for the current year. And that is, it's, I'm always amazed how the answers come. You always think, oh, you know, I'll just get on with it. But really, if, if you pray about it, the answers just come. So one year, I remember feeling impressed to talk about light and the difference between light and dark in our lives and how light comes from Christ and we can get that light by studying the scriptures and going to church and, and we can build that light up and it can also quench the darkness. And then within a month, we start to hear it from General Conference, it's in the ensign, it's like, whoa, hold on a minute, they can't have heard my talk. So it's got to be, you know, everybody's being inspired with similar things. And I suppose it's what people need as well. There's there's been loads of instances. I I tend now when I do a talk, I just jot down loads of things in my my notebook. And then when I'm sitting in sacrament meeting ready to do my talk, I just feel prompted which ones I'm going to pull out and talk about. So really like not being too rigid, but creating some flexibility there that uh, you put some notes down, some ideas, but uh, realizing that you may be impressed depending on the, the context or the meeting and, and the spirit yeah. may take you in, in a certain direction you didn't expect. Yeah. In the old days, I just used to write a talk verbatim, type it up, and mm. that's what I said, a reconference. But I came to realize, or well, maybe it's just with experience or you're more comfortable, that actually it w- I works better for me this way is that I've got all my ideas down in, in a mind map. I've got a mind map in you, probably not in this book. But I've got them all in a mind map all over my page and then I can just pull out the key things that I think I want yeah. to talk about that day. So how would you describe to someone what a mind map is? 
So my map is just like brainstorming. It's because I'm a teacher, brainstorming ideas. So. Okay, so it looks like uh, you have branch, uh, one idea in the center and then it's branching off into maybe sub-ideas, right? Yeah, and sometimes I'll number those ideas, which I'll do first and talk about first and second. I, I use that I, for making notes in talks as well. So if I'm in sacrament, I'd love to have this with me when I'm in sacrament meeting because I'll just brainstorm down key points that I think, oh, I want to remember that. Because it's easy, especially preparing remarks or a plan or, you know, any leadership related document, it's easy to think linear and just, you know, A then moves to B, moves to C, but to just let it kind of pour out of your mind. And that's where some of the richest revelations can be found. Yeah, that's it. It it is purely revelation, isn't it? It's the whisperings of the spirit guiding you. Yeah, for sure. Anything else as far as uh, reliance on prayer? Any other stories that come to mind? Well, I think it's also, I think I remember when I was first called praying about how I could help the sisters become more unified, build up real friendships, because there's not many sisters in the state. We're not a big state like we are in Utah. And we've had some issues of families leaving the church even. Hmm. And and in my mind, the sisters are the, they are kind of the cornerstone of the family. <laughs> You They're can say that loud and proud, the Angela. They're the cornerstone <laughs> of the family. This is <laughs> okay. They're the, the centre of the family, and they really needed strengthening. And I and I really mm. felt this, and I prayed about what we could do. And I felt that we needed to have something where the sisters in the state, because we're spread over a wide geographical area, could actually bond. And normally we have women's conference, which lasts a day, and sisters come, and we go to mini classes, and. We have a little talk in the the chapel and then everybody goes home. And I felt it needed to be more than that. And I remember when I was a youth going to youth conferences and staying overnight and that's where I built up my friendships that lasted me throughout my whole life. And so we came up with the idea of having a a Relief Society camp. Wow. But of course, this isn't a camp like you have in Utah where you probably might be intense we're a bit yeah. that. So, so it's more it's, of a we we call I don't know if they use this in the UK, but it's more of a glamp, a, a glamour a glam. camp. That's a it, yeah, a glamorous yeah. camp. So we <laughs> we hired somewhere in Derbyshire, which is beautiful in the countryside, and it it was like a barn conversion that had bunk beds and somewhere for us to cook and everything. And uh, we planned this great weekend. It was over three days, and we advertised it in the stake and we talked to this, the uh, ward release site of presidents and we had a turnout but not what I was expecting in fact it was supported very well by 50% of the wards and 50% mm. not so it was quite strange that isn't it that it wouldn't be from all of the wards it was 50% wards and Afterwards, when I thought about this, I mean, it was brilliant. The sisters really made great friends. It was great fun. And they made lasting friends. They joined each other on Facebook and making comments. And the husband's, um, the state president's wife went. And the state president was telling me how wonderful it was. And we, we must do it again next year because his wife had come home really excited and uplifted by this weekend. But afterwards, I thought, well, what, I should, what have I done wrong? And I realized I've not put one of the most important principles that we learn in leadership and management and that is managing change because this was a mm. big change for the sisters they've never done it before nobody's ever you know it's not a norm in any of the states either and really i should have managed that change more 
I should, you know, I, sh I should have been going to the wards more and really pushing it with them and talking about them why it's more important. You know, have you heard of Cotter's Steps of Change? Have you uh, I have not. Change management. The Cotter, um, I think it's Cotter. I'm, I'm getting my my uh, people mixed up, but he lists out the stages of change management. Hmm. You know that you need to talk about people and say why it's important. And then you need to go into more depth with it and you need to keep reviewing it and shame what the gains are from it. So next time we're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. This That's an interesting concept because a lot of times you'll be in a presidency meeting or a ward council meeting and you come together and you think of this brilliant idea that everybody's excited about, but we fail to take the time to adequately uh, sell it to the, to the, the organization as a whole and maybe sell as a, is a bad word, but as a marketer, I'm. Uh, that's just really what it is. So to really go through that process and understand we're making a change here, we're stepping outside the box a little bit. And so we need to take them through a process so they feel comfortable doing that rather than like, wait, you're going to the mountains and you're doing what? And <laughs> it seems unclear and I'm not going to go. I, I mean, what if we, you know, what if it's something weird and I, and I just want to go home. So I'll just stay home and forget it. And so it's important to go take them through that process. Yeah, we helped with a pageant. Have you heard about the Manchester pageant here that we had in England? Yeah, I in had Preston? no idea. I'm <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's about the church history. It's wonderful. It's at Preston Temple. And I think we should be doing it again next year, it, COVID allowing. Okay. Um, is it? Are they cancelling this pageant? Is it because uh, I know they're cancelling a lot of the pageants? They've cancelled all the pageants. They've not cancelled this one. Okay, good. Well, shh, don't this tell anybody. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when we first put it up well we, I was only a little tiny cog sorting the tickets for our stake that's all I was I wasn't one of the big organisers but when we were trying to get people to go and we thought we'll just pass this around the ward they'll be putting the names down like crazy because they'll all want to go to this pageant nobody was and so then that was a change management thing that we had to push it in the wards and make people put their names down. And it even got to the point of the first, it was on for 10 days and the first week they had the first performance and it's absolutely fantastic. Like at the end, they got all the missionaries from the MTC to parade in and, and they sing. It's just wonderful. It, the spirit was brilliant. Once people had sent the messages back about how good it was, we were inundated with people wanting tickets. So it, again, it's a change management thing. It's getting yeah. people on board, isn't it? On board with you. And I yeah. think it'll be like that next time we do this uh, sleepover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things like we often think, well, we'll just announce it for three weeks, you know, before <laughs> and we'll call it good. And, and, you know, every half the wards late to sacrament meetings. So they, they missed the announcement or something. And then we wonder why people didn't show up. Right. And to really see it as, no, this is a process. We need at least six, eight weeks to really, you know, let this unfold and, and explain and, and get people excited about it. And sometimes that change, especially when you do something unique, it's going to take some time. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So I got to get into these details. I love this, these ideas of that are out of the, the ordinary, like a relief society camp. And so you did it for, so it was three days, two nights, and you found a barn that was, that wasn't, nobody was sleeping on a dirt floor. It was, oh, uh, it was comfortable. No, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's a scout camp. Right. You use it for a scout camp. So it has a, a proper barn-shaped room. That's right. It's not that kitchen. you yeah. <laughs> didn't run so, out all the horses so, so you that. can sleep and in we, 
We were doing things like uh, pedicures, you know, oh, and nice. facials. <laughs> okay. You just, so you just had some relaxing, fun activities like that, but then yes, maybe yes. more of a and spiritual component. The, the next day, some of the group went for a hike. But we would call it a mountain, but you would call it a little hill. <laughs> okay. okay. So, and, and some just went into the village to go to the shops. It all depended what level of fitness you had uh-huh. as to where you went. So we had three different activities that the sisters could buy into. Oh, um, and, and it was sort of a, a hybrid or like you could do the camping thing or the hiking thing, but there's also a town nearby if you wanted to go walk yeah, through the go stores. Yeah, go buy some fudge or go buy some homemade fudge, fudge to eat. <laughs> wow. So I love that, that, that it wasn't, uh, that you sort of made it welcoming for all types. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So we ended uh, with a testimony meeting. Naturally. Um, sure. Just like you would in a youth conference. All sat around the fire, and that was really nice because there were people there who don't really go to church very much, and it was lovely to hear people's testimonies. And I think that's where bonding takes place, doesn't it? Yeah. When you're bearing your testimony, that's what you remember, and and it gives you a common uh, experience that yeah. hits your soul, that hits you, your spirit. And it was lovely to see people making friends. Yeah. So did you find that uh, this was a tough sale when you first brought this up to the stake president? Uh, Because it sounds like, like, I know how expensive youth conferences can be. And so this was another uh, expensive line item on the budget. So was it hard to to sell it to the, convince the stake president to let you move forward with it? Do you know, our stake president is wonderful. He just said, yeah, go right ahead. Oh, good. And I said, I, I had it that planned out that it would cover cost, mm-hmm. but that relied on having 50 people there. And we probably get, got 25. And so we didn't cover costs. And I went to the state president afterwards and said, oh, I'm so sorry, I've not covered costs. He said, I don't care. I don't care. And I want you to book it again next year. Oh, great. He said, because it, the experience that people had was so much, so worth that money. So he was really on board with it. He is really, really supportive. That's great. And and that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Awesome. And so this sounds like it's going to be, you know, he had some fun, some relaxing, some spiritual components. And and, uh, I love this concept because when it comes to friendships and connection and unity, we often sort of go through the motions of saying, yeah, we need to be more unified. But we often don't create those experiences that will create that unity, whether it's a service assignment or service experience or, or a camp like this, where you're getting out of the, the Relief Society classroom and, and associating and, and really getting, have time to get to know one another, right? And I think it's really important for the younger sisters. I think that's, um, and, and they've not necessarily come up through the youth program. They are probably newer members or they've moved into the stake when they got married. And so they don't probably know many people. Um, so it's, you know, it's trying to target them and help to strengthen them. That was the main target. That was our plan that year, was to, t- to strengthen the sisters. Awesome. So um, you, you mentioned a little thing as far as your relationship with your stake president there and your interaction. So how does that go? I mean, what meetings do you sit in and how would you describe that experience? The stake president, well, we go to state council, of course. But the state president invites me to go to state presidency when they're planning the ward conferences for the next year. Mm. So usually in December, I'm invited to that to discuss with them what we feel we need to focus on. 
what we need to probably base the ward ward council on because we do a ward council meeting in the morning then sacrament meeting what our talk should be about and then we want to focus on in the joint release society and priesthood session it's quite nice that i get involved in that obviously he gives me something to do (laughs) he usually likes me to talk at each one of those meetings which is nice it's nice to be involved yeah and so Um, he's always maybe looking for ways for to involve you and get your perspective on on the stake yeah yes he's very open to the release society sisters and then you know they want to, to hear from you as the president and um and to get us involved and help inform them when we've been looking now at opening the wards after covid you know because everything was shut down uh, we've been having meetings as a state council with the bishops over we've had a meeting every week for the last five or six weeks to discuss how we're going to approach it and and this for me was a real teaching moment because I'm the sort of person I like to organize it come on let's get it done and get it you know <laughs> and move on as I would have probably done it in two weeks but the problem is I would have been doing everything and I wouldn't have brought the bishops with me whereas the state president's very wise I say he was a servant leader so he, he definitely uh, uses that that methodology and um and so we, it was going very slowly so that we could get so the, and the bishops were really driving it. They were brilliant. And, um, and so eventually they decided the date, the bishops decided themselves, the date they wanted to open, what they needed to put in place. One of the bishops actually created a little video that taught the members what it was going to be like going back to church and what they had to do and, and you know, the way they had to walk around the building and sit in every other pew and every other, yeah, every other row. And, uh, that worked really well and and so they because he used that approach with them and also I suppose he involved us to put our input in um that the bishops are driving it and it, they took complete ownership that's and great that's really how it has to be really isn't it Is there so as we wrap up I just want to ask you mentioned before we hit record that uh, you've recently gone through a battle with uh was it breast cancer yes what was that like as a release study president I mean what did you learn well, from I- that well, I thought I'd get released. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, state president gave me a few months off. I had about six months off. Um, but it it taught me a lot because after treatment, you think you're going to bounce back and have loads of energy, and you just don't. It takes a long time to get your energy back. And when ward conferences came up, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do them. We do them every week, and it goes over a period of a few months. And And I knew I just couldn't cope. And so I had to... Me being a control freak had to uh, pass over to my counsellors and give them some of the jobs to do. So we set up a rota where we'd each do something each Sunday. And uh, it was the best thing that we did. It was a real teaching moment for me that, you know, people work better in teams and you work together and you trust your counsellors to do it, that they actually, you actually produce something far better than I would have done by myself. Um, and, and that's, and it was great to see them grow and gaining confidence that they could do this as well. So that that's my teaching thing. The only yeah. thing, good thing that I can take out of the whole thing. Awesome. But, yeah. Well, I, this has been great. I've learned so much and it's fun to hear uh, the unique approaches you've had in your, in your service there. The last question I have for you is as you've had opportunity to be a leader and to serve in this leadership role, how has that 
made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I have to rely on the spirit more. I can't just think, oh, I'm in charge. It's as I want it to be. These are the things I want to happen. It's actually I have to rely on the spirit and the spirit guide me in the things that I need to do. So the things that I need to would be best to talk about during what conferences um, to, to feel the inspiration and the whisperings of the spirit when I'm planning what I'm going to be saying or what trainings needed. So I think that's made me a better follower. I've also learned maybe a little bit more how to be a servant and a servant leader rather than somebody who's maybe a bit autocratic and um, wants things done my way. Maybe. I mean, that's one of the things I've been working on forever, especially trying to be more kind. I get up every day thinking I'm going to be more kind to people and then somebody's horrible to me and I'm like, oh. Um, <laughs> And and so I, I think it has. It, obviously, you get calling to be yourself, don't you? You know, to, to help you grow. So I'm hoping that I'm I'm a step nearer to following the Savior, living my life as the Savior would. would. I don't want to be a stranger when I if I get into the celestial kingdom. I don't want to get there and think, oh, I can't do this. You know, it's it's a growing process, isn't it? We grow into the celestial kingdom. We don't get into it. That's what our old state president used to say. You don't earn it. You need to grow into it so that when you get there, it's like it's home. Today, I have the opportunity to uh, sit down through the powers of the internet with uh, Jennifer Coleman in Vermont. How are you, Jennifer? I'm fine. Thanks. Good. Now, uh, I'd say like what part of Vermont are you in? But there's probably not too many parts of Vermont compared to Utah. (laughs) You're right about that, but we're South Central Vermont. If people are skiers, we're by Killington Mountain. If you're a big skier, people might know where that is. Nice. And a lifelong uh, resident of Vermont, or how did you end up there? We're from Seattle, Washington, so we're transplants. Oh, wow. The other corner of the the country. And when you're a transplant, (laughs) you're called a flatlander here in Vermont. So we're flatlanders. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, how did you end up in Vermont? Uh, First time for a job for my husband. In 2005, we came out, or 2002, we came out for about three years, and then we left, and then we came back about three years later because I felt that we had unfinished business here, and we've been here ever since. Wow, that's great, and and I would imagine, I've heard Vermont's beautiful, so I imagine it's not a tough place to live, maybe in the winters a little bit. <laughs> it's very nice, and, but my husband jokes in his sarcastic humor that the reason we moved back to Vermont is because we missed the endless winters and the high taxes. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, every place has their thing and I guess that's Vermont's thing. So, <laughs> well, cool. And you're currently serving as a stake relief society president, right? I am. Mm-hmm. W- what do you remember of that experience of uh, getting that call? Well, I'd been serving as a counselor to a stake relief society president and she hadn't been in all that long so i was really surprised when my state president called me in and uh, extended that call to me um it feels like a heavy mantle that's placed upon you so i took it very seriously and felt humbled and um really return and return to my setting apart blessing because i have people take notes for me when i'm set apart so that I can refer to that and I type it up when I get home and add what I remember and then kind of keep that as scripture and return to that. 
Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. You, I, I would imagine you had been a word release study president before this? I have. Twice. Okay. The, oh, the twice. first time when we lived in Vermont, I was the Relief Society president and my husband was in the branch presidency. We moved away for three years. We moved back. Our branch president came back to our house and said, he'd like to call me to be the ward release, the branch Relief Society president and my husband uh-huh. to the branch presidency. I said, you're kidding, right? <laughs> we had the exact same callings. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's awesome. So uh, tell me a little bit about your background. Are you, uh, you born and raised in the church? Well, I, I was sort of born into the church. My parents weren't always active. They both pretty much stopped going. My father asked to have his name removed from the records when I was a, a very young child. But about the time I turned seven, my mother started feeling, she always had a testimony, but she didn't always go to church for various reasons. She started feeling like I really needed to be baptized and have that opportunity. So bless her heart. She came back to church on her own. I was baptized and have pretty much been on that path ever since. And I'm very grateful to her for that. Awesome. And now, um, I think you mentioned before you hit recorded, your husband serves in the the mission presidency there. Yes. And so that's a, maybe a pseudo calling for you as well. You get wrapped into some of those responsibilities. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, first of all, I was set apart as a missionary and I never, oh, really? served, never served as a missionary. So this is just a dream come true. I get to wear the badge and I get to interact with the missionaries and, and go to zone conferences. So it's, it's wonderful. And I found it really dovetails pretty nicely with being Safe Relief Society president because hmm. we travel around to all the units and we can also do missionary work when we're there. And interestingly enough, in our coordinating council of six Safe Relief Society presidents, the other counselor to the mission president, his wife is the Safe Relief Society president up in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's uh, doing double or triple duty uh, in Vermont, I guess. <laughs> That's right. You get lots yeah. of opportunities to serve and grow out here. Uh, you mentioned it was the New Hampshire mission. What's the name of the mission? New Hampshire Manchester mission. Awesome. All right. So there's a few things you mentioned there that I want to make sure we cover. You said that you have a coordinating council of stake relief study presidents. Uh, how did that start and how does that work? That started about four years ago when I was maybe a little bit longer than that, some of the other Stake Relief Society presidents thought, why don't we get together like the stake presidents do at a coordinating council and share our ideas and ask the area authority to come and speak to us and give us some tutoring and some counsel. So they started that and they meet every six months. One, one of those six months, it's just our coordinating council. And then on the off six months, we meet with the Boston Coordinating Council. So then there's a lot more of us. Wow. So all the Relief Society presidents in the Boston uh, Coordinating Council. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, do you get the impression that lots of Coordinating Councils are doing this or with Relief Society presidents? I felt like this was something very novel that, that started happening. And it's been such a blessing because you can talk to other state Relief Society presidents and find out what they're doing. In person, we each give a presentation on various topics. Like for our meetings, we'll say, what's what's been going on? What are you struggling with? What are some challenges? And quite often, if you put forth the question, they say, would you leave that discussion, please? <laughs> so so we <laughs> yeah. do that. And the um, area authority is there. So he gives us good insight and counsel. And we all get to know each other. And then we email each other. We're on this 
email group and we can um, ask questions and say, did you just get this latest um, letter? What does that mean to you from the church? And it's really helpful. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess I need to clarify, there may be some individuals who may not be familiar with what a coordinating council is. So, so typically in a group of stakes, there's a coordinating council, which is a group of stakes that meet, I would say, uh, quarterly at least uh, with a, a, the Area 70. And so you've just duplicated that, but on the Relief Society side. So I think it's awesome that you're engaging with other stake Relief Society presidents, because I think that calling can feel quite a bit lonely. I mean, you have the, their stake president that you interface with and seek his guidance and so forth, but sort of the nuts and bolts and the application of that calling, I can see how it'd be so beneficial to ask the neighboring stake or surrounding stakes what they're doing, you know, the resources they're they're leveraging and, and whatnot. It really is. And we all have different needs, but uh, a lot of the the tools that they've already discovered, they share with us. So we, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's very helpful. Yeah. And just last month, this was brand new. We got to meet with our stake presidents in the coordinating council. So we had to get permission from Salt Lake for that. Our um, Area 70 asked if that would be okay, and they said yes. So we were with the, the real coordinating council. It was great. Yeah, that, yeah, the great idea that every so often just sort of get the whole, the whole, all the leaders, the 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 leaders together in a room, and and uh, I'm sure there's all, all sorts of ideas that were shared. So. Very cool. So um, how would you describe your stake as far as like geographics, demographics, uh, put that into perspective? Oh my goodness. It takes up most of the state of Vermont and our farthest unit is about three hours away from my house, Hmm. from Rutland. I'm the southernmost piece of it. So we spend a lot of time driving in the car. We do. Hopefully have a good, you have a good podcast to listen to. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. And, um, we drive. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, and that's so not just, my favorite thing to do, but we get in the car and we go. <laughs> yeah. And so how, what does that schedule look like as far as do you try and be intentional as far as uh, visiting each unit or how do you work that schedule with your counselors? Well, I've set it up with my counselors so that we sort of do it like a high council does. We assign each counselor or, or the president three or four units. We have 10 units in our stake. You know, we each get our home unit pretty much and then one that's close, closer to us and one that's farther away. And mm. we, we rotate and go through that. And um, then when we start up unit conferences each year, we try to go to most of those in person. So, And I'm, I'm curious, like, do you, obviously, if you're driving three hours to units and whatnot, I mean, that's uh, that can be quite a expense on gas and so forth. Do they, I mean, is that expense on you or does the, the ward the stake help you out with those costs? It's or? on me. It's on us. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and luckily we're at a, a place in our lives where it is, it is not a big crunch and I'm grateful yeah. for that. So I'm grateful we can use our resources to do that. It'll come back to me. Oh, just with uh, just engaging with your, your counselors with meetings and whatnot, are, are they pretty far away from you that you have to do meetings, you know, pregnancy meetings by Skype or anything like that? Well, we've tried it by Skype. It's not quite as um, effective with the, the time lag, with the voices and things. And yeah. so what we usually try to do is um, meet in a central ward building or something. And um, But during the winter, we're going to be using more go-to meeting or Zoom or something. As I typically do in these How I Lead episodes is we, uh, I ask you to maybe write down two or three leadership principles that you uh, sort of guide your leadership by. And so let's talk about some of those. Uh, the first one we'll, we'll mention that uh, you wrote down is speak up in meetings. Uh, tell us about that. Well, 
I think especially when you get a new calling, you're a little bit intimidated. First time you go to state council, everybody else seems to know what they're doing. And you think probably the best bet is to just sit quietly and listen. But um, I've learned to, to have a little more faith in the promptings that come to me and trust that um, I need to share that if I feel strongly about it. And my state president right now is certainly welcoming and inviting. So I, I feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess a lot of that d- depends on that leader that uh, is running the meeting, right? That as far as how much safety you feel of really speaking up. Right? Yes, that's true. I've gone through two state presidents now. Well, that's a funny way to say it, but, <laughs> but the previous- <laughs> You're wearing them out. I'm wearing them out. <laughs> the previous state president, um, actually, this was sort of amusing. We were doing a unit conference and we each had parts that we were supposed to do in that third hour, back when we were meeting three hours. And the, one of his counselors did a part. I did a part. He did a part. Well, that state president would often change things up, which made me really nervous because then I didn't know where we were going. I felt like I was flying without a net. And wow. so after one of these times, he changed things up. And I thought, well, what do I say now? When, when do I do my part? I emailed him and I said, President, can we structure this so I know when I'm supposed to do what? And he basically gave me a little um, correction and said to me these three words, well, four words, Sister Coleman, be brave. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed when I saw it on the email because he was absolutely right. I needed to be brave and I needed to remind myself that the priesthood authority he gave me when he set me apart And I have read that in the blessing, the setting apart blessing. He gave me the authority to do this calling and the priesthood power that I also have from my covenants Mm. at baptism and in the temple. I don't need to be afraid. The Lord will help me and I can, I can move forward. I don't need to be worried. (laughs) Yeah. So part of that principle as far as speaking up is uh, having the courage to to speak up in, in meetings, like even general speaking assignments and so forth. Correct. Yes. Yeah. The next one you wrote down is when discussing a topic or challenge with your presidency before telling them what you think, ask them first what they think. How, how do you balance that? How do you go about that? Well, you know, it, it didn't come to me all of a sudden. And I think probably in the beginning, I'd ask a question and then I'd say what I thought. And then I started to notice that they usually would agree with me. And I thought, mm. well, I wonder if I if I asked them first, maybe we get a little more difference of ideas here. So I started thinking I was maybe um, coaching them by talking first and I didn't mean to do that. So I asked them what they think first and it's been very, very eye-opening and I get lots of good ideas. And sometimes it makes my counselors uncomfortable because they'll say, well, what do you think? And I'll say, well, yeah. I want to know what you think first. <laughs> yeah. I love that. You sort of have to just... Uh you know, throw it back at him saying, well, no, this is important. I hear your, your perspective first. And I think, uh, I learned that from, um, did an interview with, uh, Matthew Groh at the church history library. He talked about the council of 50 and how Joseph Smith ran that, ran that council of 50. And he was very intentional about always sharing his perspective and opinion last because he knew that it would just dominate the, the opinions in the room. Right? I did not so, know that. I love that. Yeah. All right, next one is decide what is most value to you and your leadership and don't try to duplicate what other presidencies have done. This is, this is sometimes difficult because uh, it's hard to sort of blaze your own path that you want to kind of just keep doing what the last person did. It is. 
when this first came up for me, the Relief Society president, the Safe Relief Society president who was in before me had been in for eight years. Oh my goodness. Mm. (laughs) She thought she was never going to get released. But she loved to do meals for people. She loved to plan big events and she did a beautiful job at that. So one of the things she decided to do was that on the Saturday night session of state conference, since we're so geographically far apart, the brothers would come in for the priesthood part of it. Then there'd be an hour or so before the adult session started. And there was no time for them to go home and eat dinner or, or whatever. So she started planning a meal for the brothers and their wives who came with them early. And it was always a delicious meal. And it was great. But it was a lot of work. I mean, some one counselor that became the New Relief Society president, that I then became her counselor, she told me that sometimes she would take a day or two off of work beforehand to prepare the soups and to prepare this and that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, that is just not my thing. That gives me anxiety to think about making that, that much food for people. <laughs> yeah. So so I talked to our state president and I said, um, do we have to keep doing this? And he said, absolutely not. He said, we're big boys. We can take care of our own food needs. <laughs> I love that about him. <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, I think we're going to let that go because I would like to put our energy into visiting the units more frequently. And since they're so far flung, that takes a lot of time and energy to go to a additional meeting on a Saturday or to, you know, visit a unit on Sunday. So he said that was just fine. So, yeah. So as you can imagine, there was a little pushback on that because (laughs) they weren't getting that delicious meal anymore, but um, it it resolved itself and it was okay. and nobody died of hunger. Nobody died of hunger. That's right. <laughs> nice. And I, I love that that thought because I remember um, being very intentional as I've moved out of some of these leadership callings and the you know the person replacing me comes in that I take a moment to s- sit with them and you know, I, you know there's always something to, to transfer or communicate just to make that a smooth transition. But I've, I've been very intentional of saying you know I, I want to you to give I want to give you permission to change anything that I've done any tradition, uh, task or approach to, to leadership that I've done, you have permission to completely change that. And w- with the knowledge that I'm not going to feel offended or that you didn't like my idea or whatever. And I feel like sometimes we get in these callings and we almost, there's so much tradition in some of these things we do, right. That it's hard to stop them because you think, well, I don't want to upset the last person or I don't want to, you know, make waves in, in how we do things. So let's just keep doing it. And like you said, it takes, some of these things take a lot of energy and what great leadership for you to step back and say, you know, I'm going to remove the energy uh, vacuum that that is so that we can focus on where where I feel is most important. So I think that's great. Anything else with that that you'd want to add as far as making it, doing it your way? Um, well, I guess in conjunction with that, not being afraid to fail um, mm. by trying new, new things. Like I wanted to start doing a yearly Safe Relief Society temple trip. And our closest temple is in Boston. So for some of our members, that's a five-hour drive, um, at least four and a half hours. But we started doing that, and it's been very successful. Um, So that was one thing that was successful. Another thing we tried was, you know how they always have the father-son campout? And I always wondered, why don't they have a mother-daughter campout? That makes (laughs) sense. So I thought, well, let's, let's try it. Yeah. So we did it. 
And we found out that it was a ton of work. <laughs> and But for the most part, very enjoyed. The mothers could bring their young daughters, daughters of any age, and they really thought it was great. And the second year we did it, even more people came and they loved it. But we realized our bandwidth was really being used up by that. And just about that time, a letter came from the first presidency encouraging us to simplify. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, my state president said, what can you simplify in Stake Relief Society? And I thought, well, I think that could be simplified. So what we did was we turned it back to the units and suggested that they um, were blessed with having the Joseph Smith Memorial birthplace in our state. Oh, yeah. That's and great. there's also a Joseph Smith campground there. So that's where we would go to camp. And, you know, right on his birthplace, it was great. Um, oh, wow. So we turned it over to the units and we suggested to them, if this is something that's meaningful to you and you want to do it, do it as a ward with your Relief Society sisters and your young women and your, your primary girls. So a couple of them have continued doing it. But again, people were disappointed when we stopped doing it because <laughs> we were doing all the planning and work and you could just come and show up. I mean, and that's great, but you kind of have to take into account what are my priorities and, and, you know, how can I spend my energy? Yeah, no, that's definitely connected to that last point that, um, as a leader, a lot of our roles is to just manage the energy that, that, it, that, uh, the energy that these responsibilities have on people. I mean, on paper, a, a mother daughter camp seems, seems awesome. Phenomenal. Great idea. Let's do it. But maybe when you get into the the thick of it, it's sort of like, oof, this is, this is a heavy burden and that maybe it's not, it's not sustainable. Yeah, it was much more complicated than we thought. The meals, the um, the speaker in the evening, getting the stuff for the s'mores, getting campfire going. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I and I'm not much of a camper, so that was that was not hard for me to let go of. But um, it was good to try and just see how it went. Yeah, and, and that's the, the beauty of this principle, right? That you tried something different. You tried something new. You didn't have to commit to doing it forever, but maybe for a year or two, you tried it. Wow, this is more work than we thought. Maybe it wasn't as, as successful as we hoped, and so let's stop doing it, and that's okay. Uh, the next principle is when problem-solving, you may need to take some non-traditional approaches. This is my favorite part of how I lead interviews, uh, Jennifer, is these non-traditional approaches. So elaborate on this. How, how have you gone about taking non-traditional approaches? Well, I have one specific example that stands out in my mind. So we were having a presidency meeting one day, and one of my counselors was telling us how when her family was young, they had a talking stick that they would pass around during family home evening or, um, or whatever family council. And whoever had the talking stick would get to get to speak and nobody could interrupt. And this was especially important to their youngest uh, child who was a daughter because she had all brothers and she felt like she was empowered with this talking stick. I thought it was a cute story and I, and I liked it and, you know, just kind of filed it away. And then we were having, in one of our units, a real challenge with a sister who was commandeering the Relief Society lessons. And so we You're the were, only ward in the church where this happens. I can't know. Really? <laughs> um, it's very common. That's why I'm right. excited to hear what you say. I, I get that. Yeah. So <laughs> we had a, uh, a meeting with them. We actually went to talk to them and to counsel with them about this. So my presidency was there. Their branch president, uh, Relief Society presidency was there. And we had already discussed some ideas. Like, for example, 
at the beginning of each lesson, give this gentle reminder that we want everybody's input and make sure that you don't talk too long so other people can talk. You know, the kind of thing where everybody listens, but the person who it's meant for (laughs) to hear. (laughs) So, and then even taking her aside, well, they, they were hesitant to do this, to take her aside. I had talked to them. That takes courage to, you know, take them aside and to say, you know, sister, I don't think you've realized this, but, but you're kind of dominating the conversation that some of the other sisters aren't having a chance. And and plus she was bringing in a lot of negativity as well. Hmm. So anyway, we're going around and around and all of a sudden a light bulb went off in my head. And I thought the talking stick, it's right there. My counselor had just said this, you know, a couple months before, and it was in my head. And I said, what about the talking stick? And my counselor, Phyllis, who had said that, her eyes got wide like, oh, my goodness, I never meant for you to use it in Relief Society. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I explained the concept. And really, it felt like pure revelation to me. I have to tell you, it was a hard sell. They, they didn't really buy into it. And they never did really use it. But in my mind, that would have been a great idea. To just, yeah. it was a small group of sisters, maybe six or eight. They sat in a circle. It would be easy to pass the stick around. I think that would have, you know, really helped with the challenge. This sister ended up moving away, so it, it kind of resolved itself. But mm-hmm. yeah, and so uh, again, a non-traditional approach, but it's it's worth a try and and uh, see how it goes. And but I love the fact that sometimes you're you're willing to have the difficult conversation, right? And a lot of leadership is a lot of times comes down to are you willing to just pull someone aside and have a, a, a tense conversation with them that maybe feels a little uncomfortable? Oh, I, I remember a tense conversation when I was a branch relief society president. There was a sister in our branch who did not have very good personal hygiene and she didn't have a car. And there was one sister in particular that sort of lived near her that would pick her up. And this sister said, I can't pick her up anymore. She just smells too bad. And I thought, Mm. oh, my goodness. So I prayed about it. And I thought, you know, I need to talk to her. And she was a very humble, receptive sister. And she taught me a lot about receiving feedback. And I went over. I said her name. And I said, you know, I'm sure you don't realize this, but Sometimes if we don't wash our clothes every day or change our underwear each day that, you know, we can kind of start to smell and it can be offensive to people around us. And and that probably hasn't even occurred to you. And she said, no, it hasn't. You know, she grew up in a family where she wasn't taught those things. So I suggested that, you know, she just rinse out her clothes at night and and, uh, especially her underwear, things like that. And and, uh, she just, she did. And it was, wow. it was a hard conversation to have, but the Lord guided me. And I felt, I felt like I almost learned more from her than she did from me because she received it so well. Wow. I love that. And again, you just approach it with as much love for them and, and they feel that love and they're, they're open to that, that guidance. And I mean, I think that individual would much rather have that difficult conversation than find out later that they didn't really maybe realize the the odor that they were putting off or, uh, you know, the, the dirty lifestyle that they had, or they, maybe they thought everybody lives like they do, you know? So w- what a blessing and, and great leadership for sure. Um, all right. The last uh, principle you put down here is often the little things you do as a leader are much more important and long lasting than the big things you do. Expound on that. I remember when I was a young 
mom being in a, a relief society that would put on, it was called putting on the Ritz. And we'd have a fancy dinner once every year. And some of the sisters that worked on it would put so much energy into decorating and doing the meal that they'd end up getting migraines and then they couldn't even attend. <laughs> so, mm. you know, early on, I, I like to simplify things and keep things simple. So I think the really important part of our calling is ministering, not administering. So I've tried to put more energy into one-on-one -on -one with sisters and not so much on the big things. I mean, yes, we do have a, an annual Relief Society conference. It's in the handbook. You do that once a year. And we try to make that nice. But I don't go overboard with it. That's just not who I am. And I'd much rather spend the time and energy getting wonderful speakers and things like that. So that's one thing. And then as I've looked back on Relief Society presidents who have been meaningful in my life, there was one I remember... She spoke up in a Relief Society class one time, and she said that she does not go to R-rated movies. And this is when President Benson, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, had said not to go to R-rated movies. And it, it was kind of a new concept for people, I think. And, and really, R-rated movies back then are pretty much what PG-13 <laughs> yeah. movies are now. Yeah. So, so a lot of people didn't think it was that big of a deal, and, and I really didn't either. But when she said that, I thought, yeah. The prophet has said, don't go to R-rated movies, and, and she's absolutely right. So she made a big impression on my life just by being vocal and simply stating that she wanted to follow the prophet and, and keep all of his counsels. And then another Relief Society president that had a big impact on me, and this sounds so silly, but she would get up and pray every morning who she could bake chocolate chip cookies for. And then she would take them to their house. She'd listen to the spirit and take them to their house. And one morning, for some reason, my name came into her mind. And I was a young mother with four children, and she brought them to my house. And I don't remember being in any dire need, you know, like no big, big problems. But I just felt so loved. Like somehow the Lord knew me. She knew me. She cared about me. And she just sat and visited with me. And it was a very simple one-on-one -on -one kind of interaction, and it meant a lot to me. Wow. I love that. Especially, you know, earlier in, in our conversation, you talked about these grandiose events like a mother-daughter camp out that you, we feel like, oh, we're really making a difference, and this is going to be great. It's a lot of work, but, you know, let's, let's do it. But really, at the end of the day, sometimes it's just the act of baking a batch of chocolate chip cookies and and delivering them. And that was a lot easier and more impactful than a grandiose camp out, right? Yes. It doesn't have to be hard. The, the savior is always really simple, simple interactions with this fellow man. Yeah. Love that. Well, Jennifer, this has been phenomenal. I need to figure out a way to, to visit Vermont and uh, visit the saints out there. Sounds like you're doing great work and it's a great part of the kingdom. The last question I have uh, as we wrap up is as you consider back in your time as a leader, and leading people, how has that opportunity of being a leader made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I think that when you're called to be a leader, you very quickly realize your inadequacies and your shortcomings. But when you turn to the Lord and you really ask for his help, what you do then is you put everything you have on the altar and give him the best you've got and trust and know through your faith in him that he can 
make it good enough and make it better than you could ever do it. So I think how that's helped me be a better follower of Jesus Christ is that when I fall short, when I make mistakes, I have faith that he can fix it. And I have that trust in him. And it makes me love him even more and want to be like him and follow him and try to to be the kind of person he would want me to be, to be more like him. So I think in a roundabout way, that's how it's helped me be a better follower of Jesus Christ. That concludes my interview with Jennifer Coleman and Angela Griffiths. I so much appreciate not only the individuals who I who I interview, who I can put a mic in front of and ask them some questions about their leadership experience, but I also appreciate the many individuals who send in names for us to consider. We really have gotten to the point that we have so many names, we can't consider all of them, but that doesn't mean you should stop sending names in. We're always considering unique perspectives, unique circumstances where these individuals have served. And so uh, send it in. And we're trying to uh, round out the year with, I think the next month, this may change, but in the next month, we're going to focus on public affairs calling. And then after that, I don't really have a specific calling in mind. If you know of a specific calling we should focus on, uh, please go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Uh, submit a phenomenal leader's name in there that we should reach out to. Maybe give them a heads up just so they're not too caught off guard if we reach out to them. And uh, would love to hear uh, from them and consider them on our list. And then finally, obviously, this episode here, this segment of the How I Lead segment is would be so helpful for a Relief Society president to hear. So if you know a Relief Society president in your ward, in your stake, in your family, would you drop this link into an email? That is probably the number one way that Leading Saints grows is by people sharing. And uh, there's nothing better that you could do for Leading Saints than simply dropping a link into an email and introducing somebody to this world. came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.